0: Chapter V of Whispering Smith by Frank Spearman. This Libavrox recording is in the public domain. Chapter V. The Crawling Stone. Where the mountain chains of North America have been flung up into the continental divide, the country in many of its aspects is still terrible. In extent alone, this mountain empire is grandiose the swiftest transcontinental trains approaching its boundaries at night find night falling again before they have fairly penetrated it geologically severe this region in geological store is the richest of the continent physically forbidding beyond all of the stretches of north america the barren land alone excepted in this region lie its gentlest valleys here the desert is most grotesque and here are pastoral retreats the most secluded it is the home of the archean granite and its basins are of a fathomless dust under its sagebrush waste the skeletons of earth's hugest mammals lie beside behemoth and the monsters of the deep the eternal snow the granite peak the sandstone butte the lava bed the gray desert the far horizon are familiar here with the sunniest and bluest of skies this is the range of the deadliest storms and its delightful summers contrast with the deadliest cold here the desert of death simulates a field of cooling snow green hills lie black in the dazzling light of day limpid waters run green over arsenic stone and sunset betricks the fantastic rock with column and capital and dome clouds burst here above arid wastes and where dew is precious the skies are most prodigal in their downpour if the torrent-bed is dry distrust it this vast mountain-shed parts rivers whose waters find two oceans and their valleys are the natural highways up which railroads wind to the crest of the continent To the mountain engineer, the waterway is the sphinx that holds in its silence the riddle of his success. With him lies the problem of providing a railway across ranges which often defy the hoofs of a horse. The construction engineer studies the course of the mountain water. The water is both his ally and his enemy. Ally because it alone has made possible his undertakings enemy because it fights to destroy his puny work just as it fights to level the barriers that oppose him like acid spread on copper plate water etches the canyons in the mountain slopes and spreads wide the valleys through the plains among these scarcely known ranges of the rocky mountain chain the western rivers have their beginnings When white men crowded the Indian from the plains, he retreated to the mountains, and in their valleys made his final stand against the aggressor. The scroll of this invasion of the Mountain West by the white man has been unrolled, read, and put away within a hundred years, and of the agencies that made possible the swiftness of the story, transportation overshadows all others the first railroad put across those mountains cost twenty five thousand miles of reconnoissances and fifteen thousand miles of instrument surveys since the day of that undertaking a generation of men has passed and in the interval the wilderness that those men penetrated has been transformed the indian no longer extorts terms from his foe he is not where the teepee stood the rodman drives his stakes and the country of the great indian rivers save one has been opened for years to the railroad that one is the crawling stone the valley of crawling stone river marked for more than a decade the deadline between the overland route of the white man and the last country of the sioux it was long after the building of the first line before even an engineer's reconnaissance was made in the crawling stone country then within ten years three surveys were made two on the north side of the river and one on the south side by interests seeking a coast outlet three reports made in this way gave varying estimates of the expense of putting a line up the valley But the three coincided in this, that the cost would be prohibitive. Engineers of reputation had in this respect agreed, but Glover, who looked after such works for Bucks, remained unconvinced, and before McCloud was put into the operating department on the short line, he was asked by Glover to run a preliminary up Crawling Stone Valley before the date of his report the conclusions reached by other engineers had stood unchallenged the valley was not unknown to mccloud his first year in the mountains in which fitting as thoroughly as he could fit himself for his profession he had come west and found himself unable to get work had been spent hunting fishing and wandering often cold and often hungry in the upper crawling stone country the valley in itself offers to a constructionist no insuperable obstacles the difficulty is presented in the canyon where the river bursts through the elbow mountains south of this canyon mccloud one day on a hunting trip found himself with two indians pocketed in the rough country and was planning how to escape passing a night away from camp when his companions led him past a vertical wall of rock a thousand feet high split into a narrow defile down which they rode as it broadened out for miles they emerged upon an open country that led without a break into the valley of the crawling stone below the canyon afterward when he had become a railroad man mccloud sitting at a campfire with glover and morris blood heard them discussing the coveted and impossible line up the valley he had been taken into the circle of constructionists and was told of the earlier reports against the line he thought he knew something about the elbow mountains and disputed the findings offering in two days ride to take the men before him to the pass called by the indians the box and to take them through it glover called it a fine and a big one and though more immediate matters in the strategy of territorial control then came before him the preliminary was ordered and mccloud's findings were approved mccloud himself was soon afterward engrossed in the problems of operating the mountain division but the dream of his life was to build the crawling stone line with a maximum grade of eight tenths through the box the prettiest stretch of crawling stone valley lies within twenty miles of medicine Bend. there it lies widest and has the pick of water and grass between medicine Bend and the mission mountains cattlemen went into the crawling stone country before the indians had wholly left it the first house in the valley was the stone ranch built by richard dunning and it still stands overlooking the town of dunning at the junction of the frenchman creek with the crawling stone the frenchman is fed by unfailing springs and when by summer sun and wind every smaller stream in the middle basin has been licked dry the frenchman runs cold and swift between its russet hills richard dunning being on the border of the indian country built for his ranch house a rambling stone fortress he had chosen it afterward proved the choice spot in the valley and he stocked it with cattle when yearlings could be picked up in medicine bin at ten dollars a head he got together a great body of valley land when it could be had for the asking and became the rich man of the long range The Dunnings were Kentuckians. Richard was a bridge engineer and builder, and under Brody built some of the first bridges on the Mountain Division, notably the Great Wooden Bridge at Smoky Creek. Richard brought out his nephew, Lance Dunning. He taught Lance bridge building, and Murray Sinclair, who began as a cowboy on the Stone Ranch, learned bridge building from Richard Dunning the dunnings both came west though at different times as young men and unmarried and as far as western women were concerned might always have remained so but a kentucky cousin betty one of the fairfield dunnings related to richard within the sixth or eighth degree came to the mountains for her health betty's mother had brought richard up as a boy and betty when he left fairfield was a baby but dick as they knew him at home and the mother rode back and forth and he persuaded her to send betty out for a trip promising he would send her back in a year a well woman betty came with only her colored maid old puss dunning who had taken her from the nurse's arms when she was born and taken care of her ever since the two the tall kentucky girl and the bent mammy arrived at the stone ranch one day in june and Richard, done then with bridges and looking after his ranch interests, had already fallen violently in love with Betty. She was delicate, but if those in medicine Bend who remembered her said true, a lovely creature. Remaining in the mountains was the last thing Betty had ever thought of, but no one, man or woman, could withstand Dick Dunning she fell quite in love with him the first time she set eyes on him in medicine Bend, for he was very handsome in the saddle and betty was fairly wild about horses so dick dunning wooed a fond mistress and married her and buried her and all within hardly more than a year but in that year they were very happy never too happier and when she slept away her suffering she left him as a legacy a tiny baby girl. Puss brought the might of a creature in its swaddling clothes to the sick mother, very, very sick then, and poor Betty turned her dark eyes on it, kissed it, looked at her husband, and whispered, Dixie, and died. Dixie had been Betty's pet name for her mountain lover, so the father said the child's name should be Dixie and nothing else and his heart broke and soon he died nothing else storm or flood death or disaster had ever moved dick dunning then a single blow killed him he rode once in a while over the ranch a great tract by that time of twenty thousand acres all in one body all under fence up and down both sides of the big river in part irrigated swarming with cattle none of it stirred dick and with little Dixie in his arms he slept away his suffering so Dixie was left as her mother had been to puss while lance looked after the ranch swore at the price of cattle and played cards at medicine bin. at ten Dixie, as thoroughly spoiled as a pet baby could be by a fool mammy a fond cousin and a galaxy of devoted cowboys was sent in spite of crying and flinging to a far-away convent her father had planned everything where in many tears she learned that there were other things in the world besides cattle and mountains and sunshine and tall broad-hatted horsemen to swing from their stirrups and pick her hat from the ground just to see little Dixie laugh when they swooped past the house to the corrals when she came back from Kentucky, her grandmother dead and her school days finished, all the land she could see in the valley was hers, and all the living creatures in the fields. It seemed perfectly natural, because since childhood even the distant mountains and their snows had been Dixie's. End of chapter 5